Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story, every story, from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, and Adam, Adam, (laughs) Adam Wreck. How are you on this glorious Monday morning? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just wondering to myself if i had 10 lives like like moira mctaggart would i be adam x well, <laughs> <laughs> hold on <laughs> well well here's the thing adam yeah it's not a dream if it's real <laughs> it's not it's not and it's not a dream because uh i think we're gonna surprise some people by what we're covering today um no, no, I mean like they have album art. Like they figured it out. It's very popular. We're gonna we're gonna push that because it's a hot topic and everyone just wants to they wanna talk about that House of X and that Powers of Ten, the two thousand and nineteen dual miniseries by Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, RB Silva, and beautiful colors by Marte Gracia. Yes. Uh, Hey, uh, we're covering Hoxpox, and I know it's just been a year. Well, who requested but, this? Somebody, uh, um, somebody is challenging us to do this most modern this, of stories. This was a request from one of our Patreon supporters. It comes to us from Eric Cotton. Eric went on over to Patreon.com/slash/Battle of the Adam, and he said, "Guys, listen, Adam, I I've seen you make Twitter threads. Zach, I know you edited a." novel length book of criticism on house of X and powers of 10, which you can find both at Xavierfiles.com and on polygon, uh, written by the incomparable Chris Edelman and Robert Secundus, both fantastic, both great. Go check out Hoxpox talks because it's a crowning <laughs> achievement in my life. And I had little to do with it. So thank you. Um, but no, he wanted us to talk about Hoxbox, and since one of his Patreon uh, rewards that he gets for supporting the show that he loves and cherishes so deeply is line stepping privileges, he got to jump right near the front of the line and said, "Hey guys, you're gonna you're gonna talk about that Hoxbox, <laughs> and let's get something out of the way, Adam." Sure, Let, let's let's clear the air. This book came out a bit bit less than a year ago. Yep. Yep. I've read it no less than four times since. Okay. It was each issue twice the week it came out, plus not that's not counting the times that I just was like flipping through it to edit mm-hmm. and do notes on every page. Uh, but just that. And then once when it hit Marvel Unlimited, and once last week. So I've revisited this a few times. And we are living in the dawn of X still. <laughs> so there may be some recency bias in here. Though 
we will try and avoid it. There is also bias that my name is in it. And <laughs> Jonathan Hickman did try and make a joke at my expense for my very good theory about how the X-Men were going to move to Mars. Um, but then misspelled his own made-up language and wrote the word GALM, which means nothing, and he fixed it for the trade, which is the crowning achievement of my life. <laughs> Please help me. I need more achievements. We're as unbiased as we can be here. Um, I guess. I mean, I'm going to be as unbiased as I can about how much I really like this uh, this story. I'm staring at the uh, gorgeous Tom Muller graphic-designed hardcover here, um, and rereading this was an absolute, just fantastic reread. Um, I, well, let's, yeah, let's go start ahead. with, let's start with that design because sure. I don't think it's critical to the story in so much that it informs what the story is, is, and what it's going to do. Mm -hmm. This looks different like the design or not. And I have my own personal you know, squabbles with it. This looks different. This feels different. You open up any of these issues and there is a tangible difference in what you feel. There is an energy coming off of it. It looks like something unique. This stands out as you are reading it as something different. And a lot of that comes from the design language that's being used, how consistently it's used throughout all 12 issues, and then later in the Dawn of X books. The X-Men line feels different because of this, and it feels more alive than it has. I'm going to say Wait, as a maybe, line. Maybe hold off on that part. Do you want to? Because... I think that may actually come into our ranking. Like this really does feel like the freshest it's been in quite some time. So do you, do you know? have a year in mind? Do you have a year in mind of the freshest the X-Men line has been? I don't know. Because I know exactly what year. It's been a while. It's 1991, Adam. Wow. It's It's not felt as a line. It's not felt this big and this energetic. Since Jim Lee and Wills Portasio took over books, I can get behind when you had that. Larry Stroman, yeah. Mark Silvestri, Rob Liefeld, like everybody is, is the Rob. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mutant Genesis was like an all-out promo onslaught as well. Um, but I agree. Like, just from a visual standpoint, one of the things that struck me as I was just um, you know flipping through, even before I did my reread, was. Um, You've got R.B. Silva, like, launching into the stratosphere, becoming this art. We just talked about Disassembled recently. And his art there In and his art here is, like, two. I mean, you could tell it's it's still, like, from the same person. But we've, we've upped the ante, like, the echelons that he hits here. He is matching page for page the other artist here, who I consider the greatest artist in comics, superhero comics, at least right now. And even all of comics, maybe Pepe Larraz. Um, and then, uh, so so just starting with the two of them, I'm flipping through this and I'm I'm looking at how many of these pages are like full bleed. We're going cinematic. We're going huge here. You know, we're we're not limiting things to panels and white backgrounds of pages or anything like that. And to complement all that, you were talking about the design sensibilities of this, the unifying nature 
of Marte Gracia's color work on these books, it, it has to be noted that he is doing immense lifting. So we're starting with these this this incredible art from both of these artists, but then to then on top of that have Gracia unify all of it with this very bold, huge light sources, very very like I don't I don't even know. Like it's Let's- hard to put into words just how strong that color work is let's focus on the the art for a second specifically the colors marte gracia at the end of the release cycle of this had uh some illness and was in the hospital and was unable to complete powers of x number six Mm -hmm. all the way through yeah he has he he has a credit he has pages in there he just wasn't able to do it all uh i remember specifically as that was coming out a group of us were sitting there debating what what colorist can jump in there and do that? Who has the same sensibility? Who's going to blend with this? Who's going to fit? And David Curiel, who does issue six, a good chunk of it, does a great job with it and is probably the best fit he could have. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, he's he's not doing, I'm David Curiel and I'm doing colors. He's doing, I am David Curiel and I'm helping out my friend Marte on this book. Uh, but the fact that there was a group of comic fans discussing a colorist in detail that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. The last time I can think of that happening is maybe Jordy Belair's stuff on Moon Knight. And that was more just because it was such a different and bold choice than, you know, anything like this, where this is, this is next level color work that mood that Gracia sets on all of these pages even even using you know similar locations and similar lines and all this stuff working off of that the moods he sets with his colors is phenomenal yeah it's so good it's outstanding you, you bring up you bring up uh, RB Silva and I feel bad for RB Silva cuz he's doing the work of his career <laughs> bar none I liked I liked Silva I thought he was like okay well he likes Stuart Eminem a lot uh and he's just not there yet but he's gonna get there he's fine he's like if he's on a book I'm not saying no I'm just not like freaking out excited about him uh RB Silva does something here mm-hmm. RB Silva steps up his game in a major way starting just from the design sense Oh, yeah. Looking at the things he creates in the different futures. We'll get to the story. Just hold your horses. Y'all read this. <laughs> hold on. You're listening to this podcast and you didn't read Hoxpox. Pause the dang thing. It's like three bucks on Comixology, last I checked. It's on Hoopla for free. Go read House of X and Powers of Ten. It's you. If you are listening to an X-Men podcast and you haven't read it, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's it's the now. It's essential. Uh, it's, it's, but to your point about, it's essential. yeah, to your point about Arby, it feels like, you know, in Fast and the Furious, when Vin Diesel like hits the nitrous button and, and crosses the finish line, like he, he not only, uh, is, is artistically just like on another level, but, and this is no insult, um, to, uh, Adriano de Benedetto, who we got a chance to interview, or I got I got a chance to talk to him at uh, New York Comic Con last year, but he only does the first two issues. Arby Silva then takes over his own inks, and just like 
it's like I don't even know what to compare it to. Like it's like an athlete, you know, it's like a uh, a pitcher throwing a no hitter. Like it's crazy. He is killing it. It feels like there's an there is an energy behind everything he's doing. Like he knows. I I, I honestly think what it is is Silva understood one what what this book was going to be mm-hmm. in two what incredibly talented artist uh Pepe Larraz was doing and said well I'm not going to let him show me up <laughs> I also have to be very good now 100% and, and, and to give to give credit something that you talked about uh a couple weeks ago when we talked about disassembled and specifically in reference to his work uh, there was a heck of a lot of lead time on these books. Yes. They took their time to do these right. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just from art, but scripts and everything. So it shows there's a lot going. It shows. But, you know, even then, Silva's done, I think, two issues for Marvel since Hawksbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of X-Men and one of uh, Empire Fantastic Four, uh, the prelude, the zero issue to that. He did that. Both of those fantastic art. He's going to be doing stuff for Excalibur in Ten of Swords. Uh, so I'm very excited uh, to see him keep up that momentum. Yeah, I think both of them have established themselves now. Like there's always this caliber of art that's like the event artist, the Koi Pels of the world who like... You only pull them out when you can give them enough time to do something that's incredible. Um, and they gave everybody enough time on this. Speaking of enough time, we should probably get into Hickman talk. I mean, legitimately, I could go like 20 minutes talking about <laughs> Pepe Larraz because he's also fantastic. But I, I, I'll get back to Pepe. Well, well okay. If we're going to keep talking about Pepe, we got to talk should, about. We, let's let's let's. Let's hold back the hick. Okay. Let let's put let's put Hickman in our back pocket. We'll get to him because frankly, he gets enough attention. That that may and, be true. And as as much as this book is his book, the artists deserve so much credit for it. And the fact that we're this excited about the art in a book, uh, I think I think says something just from the Maybe you guys don't care about the Hickman story. Whatever. You're wrong, but whatever. You can think it's too complicated or doesn't make sense or I don't like charts. And that's fine. And you can have bad opinions. But look at the pretty art in this. That's worth the price of admission. Uh, yes. The visual storytelling in this is fantastic. Yeah, I think there was um, – and I, I do not want to call anybody out, but I saw somewhere online someone try and compare – X of uh, Ten of Swords upcoming crossover to like a past crossover. And I'm sorry. Like, you guys know I love Jim Lee. I, I think Jim Lee's amazing. I think he's still amazing. Pepe Larraz is better than Jim Lee. Like, look at this book and tell me that this does not look better than. I'm sorry. It's. Pepe Larraz. I agree. You're just not allowed to say that. I'm, I, look, Adam, you can't. You can't legally say that. Look at House of X number two. Look at it and tell me it is not the best illustrated X Men comic that I think has ever been made. I mean, there's um, I very little 
that you can challenge it with in the pantheon of what has come out in X-Men comics. I think you can actually challenge it pretty hard with House of X 3 and House of X 4. Not 3. 3 <laughs> just doesn't. 3 doesn't get enough time to shine. That's not 3's fault. That's the script that Pepe's working off of. Uh, House of X 4 and House of X 5 both are absolute artistic tour de forces. 4 for action and 5 for character drama. Yeah. Uh, and staging. Oh my gosh. So a nearly religious experience when it comes to X-Men art. I'm telling uh, you. They were like, they were, people People said the X-Men had turned into a cult, and I don't think that's true. I don't think the way that us as a fan base reacted helped dissuade folks of that notion because we were enthralled by what these books were doing, especially from an art side. Pepe Larraz is a He's an absolute genius. Look at look at his stuff from a couple of years ago. Look at his stuff from Extermination. Mm-hmm. And then look at this. Yeah. He was good. He was very good. Mm-hmm. Go back and look at his Uncanny Avengers run. He kills it. He's amazing he, there. This, next level. Stratospheric. Hey, we've never spent 20 minutes talking about <laughs> art before. <laughs> That's because Should we talk about what Jonathan Hickman wrote? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of whatever, right? It's it's fine. Well, let me can can I say this cuz I did go on record yes. when we only had House of X 1 in our hands and our good friend Charlie invited us on to um uh the, the, the young ones when that was still going on. I don't think young mm-hmm. ones is still going on anymore. And I It's I, on indefinite hiatus, but okay. go check out Charlie's other podcast Match Club. Yes, Match Club. If you like wrestling, even if you don't, it's cool. Um, and I remember being uh, suspicious. You know, I think even when we started to talk to Jordan um, right after this started coming out, I was on this show saying, like, I'm not quite sure. Are we playing X-Men Greatest Hits here? Rereading this, I was astounded to see how many things are threaded right from that first issue. It is a wealth of information, not only about what happens within the miniseries, but if you go through all 12 issues and you can see the the <laughs> the blueprint for where we've gone within the next year of Dawn of X. And there's still stuff in this book that I'm looking at it going, huh, we haven't covered that yet. You know, like Ten of Swords is directly referenced in this book. Like, which, so, this is something that Hickman, as a writer, both gets too much credit for and not enough credit for, which more specifically means he gets the wrong kind of credit for. People give credit for him saying that he has this giant, meticulous plan and every detail is planned out and he knows exactly what he's doing. And that is patently untrue. He will admit that. Editorial will admit that. All of his collaborators will admit that. He knows where it's going. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got his end game in mind. He's got he's got some plot beats he wants to hit. He's got a little he's got a lot of blank space in there too to say. We do stuff fun here, and maybe <laughs> some of that blank stuff informs some of the stuff at the end. But that's the reason why, as a line, the X Men books are able to do such interesting things right now because. House of X number one 
seeds a fertile ground for new stories. Every bit of this book is a story engine. Krakoa allows you, just, just Krakoa as not just another mutant island, even though things like Chinosha and things like Utopia were never, were great ideas that never got fulfilled to their fullest, mm-hmm. never reached their full potential. But Krakoa as a place where the mutants for a time have won, massive, massive story engine. The Five incredible story engine that takes a joke that takes a joke that yeah the x-men died but it's not a big deal right and turns it into a feature of the book well to say yeah they die but they (laughs) cannot be killed it's phenomenal if you think about it a lot oh yeah go ahead the the last big story engine he puts in here and this is more played through the powers of X side, but still very important in how or powers of ten. Excuse me. <laughs> have we been saying powers of X though no, this whole time? No, like we have fools? not. We've been saying powers of ten. We said powers of ten. Yes, I hope so. Yes, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna feel like a real, <laughs> real dummy if I'm editing this and I'm just shaking my head like Zach. You said X. You said X. The X means ten on this one and not on this one. But the last story engine he builds is mutants against the new man, against technology, against bio enhancements, against nature versus technology, and putting X-Men and mutants on the side of nature and evolution taps into so much stuff that was just thrown in there by Stan Lee because he was bored of coming up with origin stories, and more power to him for that. All of these things were bugs they were they were little things that you had to work around with X-Men. And Hickman found a way to thread everything and make it into, hey, this stuff that was annoying about X-Men, that there's a lot of them. Yeah. Hey, guess what? It's a feature now. You got annoyed that the villains always te- teamed up with the X-Men? Guess what? It's a feature now. Forget villains. We just kind of all hang out on an island. It's so so smart. Yes. It's annoying because I was a I was a I was a Hickman cynic. Oh really? I talked <laughs> I talked about it on this podcast. Uh there's an episode in 2018, I think, of Off Panel that I'm on where me and David Harper uh talk about it, and I say I don't know about this one. And I was wrong. It's good to be wrong. Because this is good. It's good to be wrong. And what you're describing is... So happy about it. ...is what I think is the the essential thing that works about this is that Hickman somehow flips the general um, expectations of what we expect from X-Books and yet still... Some would argue that that that's where it doesn't work for them. Because I've heard, you know, I've heard people say that this is not like this doesn't work for them... I don't know why, um, but for me... I appreciate that it doesn't work for people. Sure. I have yet to hear... I have yet to hear or read a strong piece of criticism uh, that that is against this book just on, hey, this is why it doesn't work. I've yet to get that. If someone has that... I guess. Point me in the direction. Sure. I, I'd love to see it. Yeah. I'd love to see it, but... I, I read a lot of criticism stuff, so I look for that, 
And I've not found something compelling and well written on that. No, but what what I I'll step back. What I think works about it is that it flips everything on its head. You know, uh, you were talking about failed utopian societies. Okay, Hickman's like, well, it works now. You know, oh, there's been mutant uh, quote unquote cures before. Well, how about we have a human cure? You know, uh, oh, the X-Men were extinct before and they kept going extinct and it was getting really annoying. Oh, well, actually, uh, if mutants are allowed to thrive, they will be the superior species. So we're going to come up with our own little plan to have our own little nation here, you know, and like all down the line, there are these uh, expectation flippers throughout this that are are just so smart and set up such a, a, a really intelligent um, way of moving forward with a book that I think a lot of people would agree was pretty stagnant um, after another Hickman event, which was Secret Wars, which I think afterwards a lot of people may have had expectations for how things were moving forward, and they didn't. Um, and I think the we you've mentioned the five. I just want to say that when I when I read about the five, you remember this? I freaked out. Like I flipped I my flipping lid when I found out that who the five were. And again, like you said, it's almost like an inside joke, right? It's the five lights, I, right? It's hope I finally gets to be the it. Messiah that she's promised to be in back in like AVX or, or back in Messiah complex. Like you get all of these things that, uh, you know, other writers have kind of played with and he's just like, no. This is what's happening now, and it is a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. <laughs> Do we mention I mean, Moira that's... McTaggart is a mutant and has ten lives and we're living in her world now? Yeah, guys, again, we're just going to assume you've read it. Um, rereading this, I was blown away by how smart this was. How many little things work. Just the structure of this series. It is... Three game-changing issues. Three issues that multiple times in each issue change everything you know about X-Men. Mm-hmm. Three of them in a row. So then you get the next few issues, which are all the big action climax of it. The second act here is a combination of setup for these dual massive climax battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, between between the uh, between apocalypses, <laughs> apocalypses horsemen. Yeah, the future. The future a thousand years from now. Right, the horsemen. <laughs> uh, and then then uh, the fight of the X Men against Orcus, both of which are like Pox Pox three and Hox four are both separate masterclasses of writing impactful fights, Mm -hmm. especially powers three, because these are characters like Rasputin four and North and, and Wolverine Zorn and well Wolverine. (laughs) Yes. But like Zorn, who's great right? characters who you shouldn't really care about because they're weird future versions of, of Crimea mutants, yeah, uh, which are which are cloned mutants, <laughs> cloned mutants who are clones of other mutants. Yeah, the Chimera, with all their DNA mixed up. Yeah, and they fight Nimrod. They fight Nimrod, who's good for the first time in his career. Out of 
This is a friggin' good book. Oh man, Zach, you're like losing your mind. Good, but you're right. I am losing it a little bit. I forgot how dense this is. But you're right. Like, like you're you're getting a combo of like um, Age of Apocalypse style. You know, we've got to do this or else we're all gonna die. Kind of you know end game scenario. And then you're also getting you know these nods to to like days of future past and time travel stuff like all of it despite being new is playing in the x-men sandbox and doing it in a very cool new way and establishing it's... what the the ultimate end game is for our our characters or what it could be and how to fight against that i think is is really interesting to have all of that boiling in the background you know, like it's simultaneously doing something phenomenally new. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not playing greatest hits, but mixing in the stuff that's X-Men and the stuff that you like about X-Men. And it's doing it. Yes. It's saying we're still going to do X-Men stuff because this is still X-Men. But we're going to do it in new and fun ways so that it doesn't feel like we're telling another bad X-Men Days of Future Past riff. Mm -hmm. We're going to tell something new and vibrant and it's going to have stakes and you're going to care. Yes. You're going to actually care that this is a bad future even though you've spent like 20 pages here. (laughs) Right. You don't – you spend no time with Nimrod or with Cardinal or Rasputin. Mm Mm-hmm. But you, you spend you, no time. But with you them. get it. You get it. You know. Uh, you care, right? You care. Of course. It's so stupid, John. <laughs> John, buddy, how'd you do that one, John? <laughs> it's great, uh, and I think it's. Uh, I think the retcon of Moira being a mutant and the whole dancing through the raindrops. I let I think it was last night I, I got on our our message board and I was like, I'm not sure if this really works. And I'm still not convinced it one hundred percent really works, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode. Also, I don't care. Like, at the end of the day, it does not matter because I believe in what the story is trying to do and where it wants to take me, and that's okay. Like it, it it made me it makes me a believer whether it's all like 100% concrete canon is solidified you know like i it's too good to to just like you know dismiss it's not going to there's two yeah. there, there's two things there and i i love the spirit one and like i like i said last night where i provided annotated notes of no this is how it all somehow works in canon uh two canon will never actually work and we all know this that is true Cannons cannons made up lies that we tell ourselves so that we can feel better about knowing the names of all the original Hellions, which I do not. (laughs) Y'all, y'all, come on. Tell me, tell me you aren't going to forget, you know, roulette. Dude, there's a roulette stan account out there. You know it. Is there a Jetstream stan account? (laughs) Because I feel... You're just proving you know the name. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to think really hard. It's Jetstream, Cat's Eye, Roulette, Tarot, uh, Empath, Thunderbird, mm-hmm. uh, well, Warpath. Was he going by? No, he was going by Warp or Thunderbird at the time. Yes. Uh, Did you get Tarot? I'm, if I'm forgetting a Heli and it proves my point, so I'm not even going to try anymore. Did you say Tarot? 
said tarot. Did, we right? got swords, baby. Yeah. Bud, I know so much more about tarot than I care about. <laughs> You're going it's to wild. care. Everyone's into tarot nowadays. You're going to care. You've, y'all, you know there's tarot cards in the beginning of this story? Yep. And all of the motifs from those tarot cards continue in every single issue. Do you know how many times the tower, the tower. shows up? It's great. It knows what it's Adam, doing. this is a good comic. It is. Let's rank it. We didn't... Okay. There's so much we didn't talk about. Do, do, light, that... do lightning round. Do lightning round. Go through everything Sinister, we didn't talk Sinister's about. Sinister's so good. The The big handshake is so good. The fact that all of mutants are going to be fighting against black hole gods is phenomenally wild and i still can't believe it that one's hard um, to wrap my brain around the, the phalanx dominion that it's nuts <laughs> <laughs> that, that one's a little much all this sounds not like nonsense if you haven't read it the character moments are so strong in this the resurrection scene the the scene with the five the scene with storm proclaiming her friends as mutants I lose it, bud. I know. This is this is a powerful, powerful comic. It capitalizes on all of the promise it makes. It's incredibly tight writing, incredibly emotive writing, world-class art. And it's better every read. I have I have rarely read something so much and continued to be engaged and continued to find new things here. I could read this book again tomorrow and still get it. And I know it's new and I know we're riding the high of the Dawn of X and getting real ready for our sword content. Sword content starts this week, uh, <laughs> buddy. We get I know. We get swords on Wednesday. I know. Bud, I know we're riding high. This is also good and we do need to rank it on our very good list. All right. Any, any, anything that we overlooked in the last half hour and change about talking about this phenomenal book? Um, I, I mean, there is, and I, I think that's one of the, the delights of it is that you can go back and you can dig through it. Um, and I am sure, you know, uh, having a year's worth of the books and then going back and seeing where he seeded some of those things, it's been really fun to, to look back through this. And I think the same is going to be true. You know, I know he's joked about wanting to do this for a very long time, and I don't doubt it for one bit that there could be decades worth of continuity here that is just based on what's what's substantiated here. Because how do you go back? You know, how do you go back X-Men when you will know never that be the same? Yeah, then knowing that this is this is the the big relaunch, and knowing that there is an endpoint somewhere that has to be resolved based on what's here. So. Here's what well, I am. You look, you look at, you can, you compare it to something like Morrison's new X-Men, which is probably the closest comparison of the nothing will ever be the same again. Right. Kind of feel. Yep. But at the same time that Morrison's X-Men was going on, so was Extreme X-Men and uh, Joe Casey's Uncanny X-Men, both of which. Not, not living up to it. They, they felt like. Well, maybe things will be the same again someday. And this the, the things did become the same. Yeah. Like the follow up the follow up to to Morrison is Joss Whedon's X-Men, which I have a lot of affection for, but is also very much a hey, you remember the eighties and how those were neat? Mm-hmm. 
it's it's a very well we've talked about this that is a very well crafted first six issues you know um but it's not revolutionary it's it's the ultimate nostalgia trip you know um so, all right let's let's put a pin in that specific thing yep. we have to talk about our list where we have 411 x-men stories ranked uh from best to worst of all time number one is the dark phoenix saga number 10 is generation next from uh, age of apocalypse number 100 is x-factor 27 gifts uh Number 200 is Spider-Man 8 through 12, Perceptions, where Spider-Man and Wolverine team up to fight a Wendigo. Uh, number 300 is G-Nation plus Rogue and Iceman going on a road trip. Uh, there's a lot of stories on that one. I'm not going to read them all. Uh, number 400 is The Legend of the Dark Claw. <laughs> and 411 is The Draco. Okay. So This is, t- I f- this is top I 10, feel- Zach. Yeah, I feel bad for Generation Next. You're out of there, guys. Okay. You're great. Love you guys. Um, we talked about Astonishing X-Men Gifted, which we have at number four. Mm-hmm. And I recently reread Astonishing X-Men Gifted. I like Astonishing X-Men Gifted. This is better. I mean, can we just cut to the chase? Number one on this list is I wanna he- number one on this list is the Dark Phoenix saga. The it is the quintessential uh, X-Men story by it's quintessential writer. And I think some would claim it's quintessential artist, despite, you know, John Byrne had a pretty nice run on X-Men. Um, so he is for many. John, John Byrne is definitely the artist who drew the most important X-Men stories. Right. Right. I think that is, that is fair to say. Dark Phoenix saga. He's is, the one where they drew three, three movies worth of stuff based on his. Yes. I think that, it is fair to acknowledge that Dark Phoenix Saga is like the best thing that has been done in X-Men. I'm going to just put this out there. The technical prowess, the literary depth that is on display in this book, this, this beautiful hardcover that I am holding right now, it's better. I'm going to read my notes because I took four pages of notes, which is a first. I'm going to try and continue taking notes because I like taking notes now. I feel like <laughs> I took notes. Of, I feel like I took you're notes about, about everything. I know. I feel like you're about to go up. To I have the a pulpit. page of notes about Sonic the Hedgehog right here. <laughs> I feel like you're about to go up to the pulpit and like read from the, the Bible. <laughs> your little book. I have I have a small I have a small notebook that on front of it says Xavier school for gifted youngsters and it has a X on it. It's very pretty. And I do like it. Um, my last two notes, this is easily better than dark Phoenix or than days of future past and demon bear, which is our numbers three and our number two, just rereading demon bear, just doing a live enactment of demon bear with some of my friends <laughs> instead of watching the movie. Uh, this is better than demon bear. Um, I also wrote possibly better than Dark Phoenix. Here's my apprehension. And I'm just because I don't want I don't think this needs to be taken as a unanimous like objective thing. I think this is tough. Yeah, go for it. Dark Phoenix is an important moment in comics history. Mm. It's 
the most important moment in uh in X-Men history easily uh one of the biggest touch points in Marvel Comics period I think that to its detriment you don't see Dark Phoenix Saga like the trade isn't a constant seller it doesn't fly off it doesn't bring people in it's it's very much a if you like X-Men you'll probably like this but you have to add the if you like X-Men already mm. like you've got to you've got to have already bought in to this weird world House of X and Powers of 10 may end up being like Marvel's evergreen bestseller for a while <laughs> it's it's that easy to hand to someone and say, you like X, you're interested in X-Men. This is everything you need to know about what they're going to be for the next 20 years. And the only thing that holds me back is because we know what the legacy of Dark Phoenix Saga is. And we're only one year removed from the legacy of House of X and Powers of 10. But even in that one year, it feels like the most important comic to come out in maybe since Saga. I'm not going to disagree with you. I think that you could make the argument about the craft that goes into this book. And I think just from that standpoint, you could probably put it ahead. But I think you're making a very good point and remembering the merits of just how revolutionary Dark Phoenix Saga was at the time. Um, we know that Dark Phoenix Saga what? is the X-Men, Right. It is the X-Men. You can't talk about the X-Men without the Dark Phoenix saga. And it does remain I... to be seen and proven that House of X and Powers of Ten will last the test of time. I think there's no way around it. It will. But we're not there yet. Here's, here's where I'm at. I agree with you to a point in that saying that Dark Phoenix... Saga is the X-Men. I disagree with that. I think Dark Phoenix Saga was the X-Men. I I think Krakoa is the X-Men now. Like I think I think it will be the X-Men. Oh, I and think it I already think this is. is our podcast. Yeah, it already is. I I'm not disputing that at all. I'm just saying that, you know, we're a year out and you know, I think that that can be part of the decision-making process. I'm just saying from a comics production standpoint, you know, from the, the standard that is being set here by the level of writing, by the level of the artwork, I can't put it behind Dark Phoenix Saga. I mean, what Pepe and RB are doing here is superior to what John Byrne was doing. Here's what I'll say. Dark Phoenix Saga don't got my name in it. It's number one, baby. House of X, Powers of Ten. The new number one on our list. People are going to kill us, Zach. I don't care. I can't believe we're doing this. Y'all, I can. But legitimately, do you know how much of my life, my specific life, has been impacted by that comic? The Xavier Files Media Empire, which was a joke several years ago that we made. Actually has like 30 plus people writing for it because nearly 100% because of the excitement 
built by that comic. Mm-hmm. It's true. So maybe maybe we're biased, but Bud, Bud, how much has that stupid book impacted us personally? Like you weren't you weren't reading Dark Phoenix Saga, not when it came out. No, I wasn't. No. I mean, it, I was not born <laughs> it ended, because I'm a little baby. It boy. came out when I was born. So, um, yeah. So, so no, I don't feel bad about this at all. If you disagree, go re-listen to the last 45 minutes of podcast. <laughs> we knew we, we knew it was going to go long. That's fine. I didn't, I don't think we knew it was going to go like this well okay so should we talk about other stuff yeah let's talk about or do we have more hoxbox let's talk about two other books um and this is because you know moira is such a central figure and her retcon is central to uh hoxbox we looked for for two other moira stories and uh the first one we have here is a weird one um that originally appeared in marvel comics presents cyclops retribution Right. This was originally printed in MCP 17 through 24. For those of you who don't know, Marvel Comics Presents was an anthology book. It came out bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. So it had a good cadence to it. Uh, you would get multiple stories in it. Uh, starting out, it was always an X-Men story, which eventually got turned into always a Wolverine story. Always a Wolverine story. story. Uh, eventually. They did the first Wolverine one, and then they did Colossus Blood... Or Colossus... Bloodlines. God's Country. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I'm we've sorry. God's about. Country. Yeah. No, Bloodlines is the... Yeah, yeah that's God's the, Country is the, the MCP one. one by Innocenti. Yep. Uh, then they did this. Then they did a Havoc one. And then I think they went back to Wolverine for the most... No, they, then they, they did, did some Excalibur ones one. that are bad. I... You like those? I was... It was 2 a.m. on an international flight when I read those. Uh, There's some weird Eric Larson art in those. Them. Let's talk about this one, which is written by Bob Harris of uh, editorial fame more. I think I think of it, Bob Harris more as an editor. Um, yeah, it's because he because he defined the X Men books right? in the '90s, I, and then up until recently was one of the biggest editors at DC. Uh, including protecting uh, serial harassers for years and years. Uh, so Bob oh. Harris is not my favorite guy. No, and I believe he got, he got, fired, he got fired recently, recently but right? it did take a global pandemic. Um, and I believe we've also talked about Ron Lim briefly on the program before. Um, but Ron Lim of... Ron Lim drew Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> he drew a big chunk of Infinity Gauntlet uh, when George Perez, uh, for whatever reason, couldn't finish it. Um, this is Ron Lim pre infinity gauntlet before his silver surfer run before his infinity gauntlet Mm -hmm. um he's not as good here um and this is a wacky story where cyclops visits muir island only to realize that stephen lang in the master mold body um has convinced moira or brainwashed her to create the legacy virus oh i'm sorry um, i mean the retribution virus You know the retribution virus, which <laughs> spreads by death spores? Yes. Hey, um, this is... All of the 90s is Bob Harris being like, hold on, wait. I've got something for this. Back in this story <laughs> I did for MCP. That's not a joke. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's got Omega Red's powers, mm-hmm. and it's got the legacy virus. Only it's called the retribution virus. Yeah. So um, we have Moira, who is 
you know, basically become uh, Master Mold's sort of mind-controlled slave in developing this virus. Um, she later needs to make it a cure. And uh, there's there's a lot of weird stuff in this book. There's these little alien critters called servitons. What are they called? Uh, uh, servitors. I have no idea. Servitors. They. You're you're talking about the guys that aren't the moloids. Yeah, they just look like little little pink alien guys. Um, and uh, Stephen Lang has unfortunately also divided his uh, mind into a separate entity known as the conscience. And conscience is which contains his conscience. Right. Is uh, this sort of weird looking guy in a bathrobe with a metal head and a human face? Um, who eventually he looks like <laughs> he looks like if you if you've watched the uh, the the children's television program uh, Power Rangers Turbo oh he looks like one of Divatox's henchmen the one with the red like red like robe thing and kind of the spiky head that he has that's kind of a goofus I forget his name I don't pay attention Turbo was a bad season of Power Rangers on a Power Rangers scale and that's saying something. Um, but he looks like that one. Um, yeah, and eventually he realizes. I'll send you a picture, Adam. I know you don't. Know I don't what I'm know what you're about. talking about. Um, eventually, there is uh, a problem with with the virus in that it is also going to kill almost all of humanity as well. Now, Master Mold doesn't care. He says, "Let's let's do it. Let's just like reboot society with seven percent of the humans." And Conscience is like, "Yeah, can't do that." Um, and so he helps Cyclops. We don't want to do a genocide. Yeah, he helps Cyclops, Banshee, Moira, and some little kids uh, defeat Master Mold. And mostly it's Cyclops blasting and uh, saves the day. But this reads very strangely after you've read <laughs> Powers of Ten. Oh, yeah, because it has Moira, who spent uh, more than one lifetime trying to exterminate all Sentinels, uh, working for a Master Mold, which... As we know, master molds lead to mother molds, which are mo mother molds are master molds who make master molds, and master molds are sentinels that make sentinels. <laughs> and somewhere uh, and of in there, the mother they... mold will lead to a Nimrod. Yes, and somewhere in there, they make servitors, which are these little alien creatures. But I'm not sure how that works. Yep. Oh, you're sending me a picture of the thingy. Oh yeah, he really does look yeah, like that's that. Elgar. Elgar. Wow. Elgar from from yeah from Power Rangers Turbo. It's very distracting. I mean. A lot of this this story is just so stupid because it's weighed down by this conscience character who's just he talks in what he what he claims are cliches with this giant grin on his face, and it's just dumb. Like it's dumb, but the, there is I think some cool stuff in here with with Moira having been set up by Master Mold and um, you know being possessed by a machine property to do things against her will. And it's wild to think that this happens in continuity with life 10 of Moira McTaggart. Oh, she's this Adam, Adam, Zachary, Zachary. It radicalized her. <laughs> yes. Yes. This story is better for reasons that, Bob Harris had no control over is the thing. Well, it's better in, in, in retrospect and in context of, of the other, but, uh, oh man, it's fun to read right after Hawks Pox, but it's not that good. It's a boilerplate story that says absolutely nothing about the characters. 
it does this weird thing where it tries to position Stephen Lang as Cyclops's arch nemesis. Yeah. Which. Yeah. It's really weird about he's that. He's already got a sinister. He's very. He doesn't need. He's very angry about that. I guess he has a sinister in his own self-doubt. So he's got two. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know if it's really Cyclops saying that Stephen Lang is, is is like arch nemesis as it is Stephen Lang holding this like very specific grudge against Cyclops, which it really a lot of this falls uh, after the X Factor story where uh, Master Mold attacks Cyclops in Alaska and mentions the Twelve, but this doesn't Man. doesn't get into any of that. Uh, it's just it's, it's weird, you know. It's weird. It's kind of bad, uh, but like, give it a shot. Go back and go back and read that thing now because it's wild to try and piece together. Yeah, it's a very strange uh, oddity, but it's 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 definitely fun to read after you've read Hawksbox and go, okay, th- this is interesting. Um, on its own, though, it it really doesn't stand up. It's you know, it's it's pre solid Ron Lim. Uh, the writing is very slight and the, the character, especially of conscience will annoy the heck out of you. So, uh, so Zach, this oh, is our new bad. number one, right? <laughs> no. So at two thirty-two, we've got Colossus God country, which is a story that both overlaps and precedes this. Yeah, that's, that's uh, way MCP. better than this. Yeah. God's country is much better, but it seemed like the right starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, number 300 is X-Force 29 and 30. Adam X, the extreme is back and things have never been deadlier, uh, which by the way, folks, Adam X, the extreme is back and he's making snuff films, which is oh, weird. Poor Adam X. Oh man. That is a wild Adam X issue. Is having a rough one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking how. Go read X-Factor, guys. Yeah, it's great. Well, lower than that at 310, we have Colossus Bloodline. Better or worse than that? Also worse than that, probably probably better than 325, which is New Mutants, uh, The Return to Asgard. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, um, I don't know if it's as good as... Better or worse than the Muir Island Saga? Uh, it's, it's kind of on par. I mean, it it's a little bit more cohesive, I would say. Hey, it's not better than Curse of the Mutants, which again, hurts me to say. No, it's not. Um, is it better or worse than Judgment War? People like Judgment War. It's just no, not this us. isn't as good as Judgment War. You know, this is bet Life and Times of Lucas Bishop. I, uh, I could I could put it ahead of that. I think that makes sense. Below Judgment War and ahead of Life and Times of Lucas Bishop. Okay, so this will be our new three twenty two. I like that. I like that. I think that's uh, that's reasonable. It's a wild one, folks. Uh, let's do the last story, Adam. We've, we've done so much <laughs> podcasting tonight already. Well, and this is another interesting one because um, we just talked about the retribution vi- uh, virus, which gets resolved in the in that story. But um, Moira spends a lot of time being the only quote unquote human infected with the legacy virus. And this story is specifically about that. I love how I love how the retcon says, yeah, that's not how viruses work. She can be a mutant now. <laughs> she was just hiding it from people and lying. And maybe some thought balloons don't work. But hey, shut up. Don't read don't read mid nineties Excalibur then and poke holes in things, you lose. Yeah. 
So this is Excalibur number 115 uh, by Ben Robb. And who's doing art here? Art on this bad boy is by is it Mel Ruby. Mel Ruby. That's who it is. Um, yep. Scott Koblish does the inks. Uh, Kevin Tinsley does the colors on this one. Um, the cover is interesting because it says featuring Banshee of Generation X. And it's got Banshee, Wolfsbane, and Colossus on the cover. It says one of these three will f- sacrifice their life to save one of their own. And that's not really true. No, I like you read that cover and you're like, wow, this is going to have some stakes. Um, And of course this does come before Colossus quote unquote, you know, solves the legacy virus magically um, by pulling an Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. But (laughs) listen, listen, he got there. All right. Just let him have it. <laughs> we'll give him his moment. Um, but this issue begins with Banshee um, pulling a transatlantic flight as, as fast as he possibly can fly, um, which God, that must be exhausting. Like, how do you even do that? I, I, it seems impossible. My, my throat hurts from talking for the last <laughs> hour because I already finished my bubbly. And he's there uh, in lickety split because uh, Moira has decided that to solve and cure the legacy virus, she needs to go into quarantine. quarantine. Hey guys, <laughs> guys, we're still, we're still, we're still in the bad times. Um, and if you're listening in the future and times got worse, I'm sorry. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> As of bud, I don't know. I know you never know. As of now, these are the bad times. Yes. As of now, this is September of 2020, and it's the bad time. But we said that last year. Um, <laughs> and yet, uh, okay, we are, we are we are still we are still under uh, the under the grip of the Rona. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of us know a lot about quarantining. And here's some things, Moira. Let's talk about what Moira's doing. That's good. She's covering up all of her orifices so she doesn't. Uh, doesn't expose the virus to people. Sure. Now, Moira's had the virus for several years now, and she's just kind of walked around the place making bad coffee. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, um, maybe it's too late, Moira. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you would know if this was an airborne pathogen uh, by this point. <laughs> Two, Moira wants to go into quarantine, which puts her in a hermetically sealed thing with like canned food and all these things, including vaccines, which again, Moira, girl. Nothing is getting in or else it breaks the quarantine, which would be bad because then things could get out. So you probably don't need those vaccines. Uh, number three, y'all, we've, I've been doing quarantine for a while. That's not how this works, Moira. <laughs> yeah. Mo- and what's worse about her virology? She, she says, she says, hey, look at all these people. Look at all these people who have the legacy virus. Yeah. And she's like, what do they have in Coleman? And Banshee or someone says, nothing. They're just like a random group of mutants. And she says, exactly. <laughs> it's random. Which means that it must have been designed by someone who loves to str- oh, do chaos. Which means this must have happened by strife. Instead of the obvious answer of y'all, maybe viruses can randomly impact people and that doesn't mean that they're part of some grand scheme you're oddly correct on this one moira which tells me again 
Retcon fixes it. She knew. She knew it was strife. I mean, it is odd to like go back to an issue like this and just wonder what Moira McTaggart knows, what she doesn't know. I think that's one of the most fascinating things that Hawksbox does that, that Hickman writes is like anytime she pops up anywhere, you're wondering what is going through her mind and things like the legacy virus. You got to wonder, like, it doesn't seem to have popped up in her past lives. So this is a curveball that, you know, was thrown into the mix in this 10th life that she has to deal with, which has got to be very obnoxious so that she can get to her real plans. Um, but yeah, I like to, I like to think, I like to think that Moira X um, thinks of herself as a meticulous planner, but is really winging things most of the time. Like she had a rough idea of what she was going to do in this last life, but it was like, uh, but honestly, I think that by like year four, that got blown up. So I'm just kind of going with it because I don't got anything else to do. I guess I'll hide myself in this Krakoan no space <laughs> uh, and fake my death with a Shi'ar Golem. Shi'ar um, But yes, uh, in this issue, Moira does become a doomsday prepper. Um, she's got all her canned food. She's she's ready to ride out the the apocalypse. Um, but the, the conflict that's hinted at on the cover is that... Um, Rain doesn't want to let her do this alone. Well, I mean, that's Rain's mama. Yeah. She's taking care of Rain for a while, and I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rain is having some weird feelings uh, because Doug Locke, who's Doug and Warlock, but is actually Warlock with Doug's memories, and it's bad. Um, Doug Locke, like, was affectionate to her and she did not like that, and she was feeling weird feelings. So she jumps in the quarantine door with uh, Rain or with uh, Moira, and they say, "Well, if you open the door, uh, it'll ruin everything about saving this virus." And again, y'all, you just closed the door. <laughs> right? She's in a no. You just closed the Moira's door. In a it's space not suit. fixed. Yeah. Yeah, but guys, this is not how. We know what quarantine means in the year of our Lord 2020. Yeah. I guess maybe uh, in uh, December we? of 1997, this was not as clear, but uh, it's loosey goosey. Did you think we'd know so much about quarantine at the start of this year? Because <laughs> I sure didn't. And the Rona, the Rona was a thing in China in late 19. And we just, we just thought, oh, we're fine. Oh boy. All right. Well, oh I'll reserve my, uh, my extensive soapboxing about national and state planning of, uh pandemics anyway um this issue i won't get on a soapbox i'll just say we we hecked up <laughs> yes. uh this is about on par with late excalibur it, it's just okay the art is not really worth worth talking about it's sort of uh you know referencing you want to know how long the quarantine lasts how long uh issue 125 love it love it it's a very long one um so this is just kind of forgettable you know, it's not as good as that time they went to a bar. No, not at all. That's that's much higher. Um, I don't know what that's at. Let's find something bad. Uh, it's, it's not as good as the London Hellfire Club. Nope. No, I'm looking down. How about 373 Phalanx Covenant Life Signs? Better or worse than that? Sure, shorter. Shorter for sure. Also, you know, features Doug Locke. Uh, what do you think? Life signs might life signs might be better. might be better. Okay, how about uh, first six issues of X Factor, Volume One? 
Man. <laughs> Probably better. That first issue is just the worst, isn't it? All right. So in between there. Let's put it above that, but below Wolverine 98 to 100, Furnace of His Mind, Anvil of His Heart, where Wolverine loses his nose. Love it. That's a great place to put it. So that makes it our new 375. Man, what an episode, Zach. Y'all, y'all, we had some laughs. <laughs> uh, we had some fun. We, I'm exhausted. <laughs> we made we made a decision. Uh, we made an executive decision here about what the greatest X Men comic of all time was. Um, and I can't imagine all of you are happy with. Us. No, there's going to be fallout for sure. I guarantee it. You know what? Bring it. I don't care. <laughs> what y'all? This is this is a made up list of very important comic book stories. And if you want to be mad, don't be mad at us. We just told you the truth. You can be mad at Eric Cotton, who went over to <laughs> patreon.com slash battle the atom. And Eric Cotton, uh, he uh, threw money our way. And we we talked about that story for very long. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so late. I have I have so much to edit still. It's okay. Let's just, uh, you know, you got to go to the Patreon, right? If you want to support. Uh, yeah. You know, you got to follow Zach uh, and co at Xavier Files. Uh, go to xavierfiles.com. Follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Uh, next week, we have uh, some more exciting Dawn of X content, right? We're going we're gonna to sharpen our swords with a guest. Yeah. Hey, y'all, Teeny Howard, who yes. is co-writing Ten of Swords. Teeny's going to be here. I'm excited. Oh, yes. Adam's excited. We're going to ask all one... your pog or pog questions. <laughs> we have we spent a lot of time talking to both Annalise and Leah about Pog or Pog. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if we keep talking about Pog or Pog, uh, who's the crocodile that the X-Men fight now. Um, but we do love Pog or Pog. Uh, guys, I'm tired, but it was so worth it. I'm going to go dream. Y'all, thank you for listening to Battle of the Atom. Hope you survive the experience. Get it!